so honored to be standing here today. I'm going to get into the word with you. Um, I'm going to be in the book of Ephesians today. And how many of you know that our nation needs Jesus? We need God. We, we need him to show up. We need a supernatural move of God. And, and, and how many of you know the church, this, you, not the building, not, not all the, not, not, not the, the lights, not you, the church is the hope of the world. That you are the hope of the world. And I would just say to you, no one else is coming. No, nobody else is showing up. Nobody, no, you know, no one else is coming. You're, we're, we're a lot of times crying, Jesus come, and he's saying, please go. Jesus come, he's saying, he's saying go, you're saying come. I want him to come too, but the reality is a life-giving church, a church full of the spirit, full of life, full of the scriptures, full of the word is the hope of the world. And so I just want to encourage you that you are uh, God's best. And, and I, I would say it this way, you're God's idea. I remember I was going through some stuff one, one year in my life, and in a couple of days I was just, you know, God, what am I going to do? He's like, hey, son, you're my idea. I mean, that'll change the way you look at yourself. You're God's idea. So I'm going to be in the book of Ephesians today. Ephesians is really the blueprint of the church. Um, many believe it's Paul's, uh, the queen of the epistles, some theologians call it. Um, it's the divinest composition of man, is what some say. It's the crowning epistle of Paul, the crown jewel of Paul's writings. Uh, Ephesians is broken into, you can break it into uh, three two-part chapters, or you can break it into two three-part sections. Um, it, it, it works either way. The, the, the first three parts of Ephesians are your position in Christ. Um, everything that Jesus did for you, everything Christ afforded you, your position in him. The second three parts are your practice in Christ. He, Paul intentionally deals with your position before practice because it's always position before practice. That's relationship. That's not religion, right? It's position. You have to know who you are and, and what your position is before you can ever walk out a pure life. And so he deals with position before practice. It's dealing with your belief system before he deals with your behavior. Beliefs before behavior. Many of us try to get our behavior fixed, but we never fix our belief systems. And so we can never fix our behavior because we don't believe right. And so Paul deals with our beliefs in many instances in this verse. I'm going to be in Ephesians 2. And uh, in many instances in this chapter, uh, he says, you're in Christ or you're in heavenly places. There's this position. Some theologians say that's the summation of the whole book. In heavenly places in Christ. What, what Ephesians is doing is it's bringing you to God's perspective of what he's afforded you because you love him. It's giving you a 30,000 foot view. It gives you a higher perspective of who you are in God. And, and how many know perspective is power? When you begin to have a new perspective, there's power in that perspective. And so the thought of this is that you're going to figure out your position. Uh, there's a book written about, about Ephesians. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand by a theologian named Watchman Nee. Sit, Walk, Stand. It's amazing. The first two chapters are you're seated in Christ. The second two chapters are you're walking in Christ. The third two chapters are you're standing in Christ. You're, you're sitting. How many know that at creation, uh, when God made man on the sixth day, uh, man's first day of existence was on the seventh day, which is the day God rested. Y'all tracking with me? God rested on the seventh day. Man was made on the sixth day. So man's first day of life was in the rest of God. Meaning that God always works first and then rests. We always rest in God first and then work. And so we sit in Christ before we do anything. And then we learn how to walk it out. So Ephesians 2 verse 1, it said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass. Come on, you glad you're alive now? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together. Listen to this language. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together. 
made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, not strive in them, not stress in them, not fight in them, that we should walk in them. God already prepared your tomorrow. He already prepared what you're going to walk in, that you should walk in it. We are his workmanship. Verse 19, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is the church. This is the blueprint of, of church, what I'm giving you today. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is a house. This is not an organization, a corporation. This is the family of God. This is the house of God. You're a fellow saint. You're a saint. It means holy one. You're like, I'm not a saint. You're a saint. Citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wow. My title for today is, It's a Sign Seating. It's a Sign Seating. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've given us a seat in you, that uh, you said that we've been raised together and that we've been seated together, and you've given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I pray that every spiritual blessing would be realized today because we cannot produce something that we don't believe we possess. So I pray today, God, that we would believe through your word and we would be changed in our mind and our heart by the power of your word in Jesus' matchless name. Amen? Amen. It's a signed CD. And I hope you all are okay. I'm an ADD preacher, and uh, so I'll give you all kinds of stuff. I got, a, I got a long anchor, though. I'll get back to it. I know you're used to it. You got, I know Pastor Adam. Uh, my, my church says, man, you preach like him a little bit. I'm like, well, he's my pastor. Uh, and so uh, I, I, one of my biggest, uh, greatest frustrations, I don't know about you, especially having little kids, like going out to dinner, and I have a little kids. When my kids are older now, they're 20, 19, 18, and 16. But when they were little, we had a family of five. You ever go out to dinner with a family and you got your kids and everybody's trying to figure out where to sit? Like, where do we sit? Like, where do the guys sit? Where do the girls sit? Do the guys sit by them? And then you got guy and girl tables and you split it up. Well, that's weird because everybody wants to kind of sit together. And then you got the little kids at the table and do you put them with the little kids? And then do you put the moms down with the kids because the dads don't want to deal with the kids at the table? So I'm like, where do I sit? And then there's this whole verse that says, don't pick the good seat because then they'll think you're prideful. In the Bible, pick the, pick the worst seat. And then if they call you up to the good seat and the good seat of honor, then you go up to the good seat. And then you're in a, in a good seat. And, and, and it's biblical. I'm like, ah, where do I sit? The best thing for me in any scenario is walking into an environment and they say, it's assigned seating, sir. I'm like, oh, all I got to do. Let's go find my little name tag and go find my little seat. I don't have to worry about where the kids are sitting. And what, because my wife, she's always, she's like, I want to sit with them. We got to talk to them. We got to say hi to them. I'm like, and in my 48 years of life now, I just get to the point where I don't, I can't deal with all that. I'm just going to sit down. <laughs> Everybody else figure out all the chaos around the table. One year I went out to dinner with my boss and his wife uh, years ago in Dallas. We sat at Chili's. In a four-person table, there were two seats on one side, two seats on the other side. It was just me and my boss and his wife. And he said, hey, I got to go to the restroom while we got the seat. And for some reason, my brain locked up, and I sat by his wife on the other side of the table. This is a four, little tiny four-man table. He walked up to the table, and I was just like, yeah, I just love people. I was hanging out. He's like, excuse me, so I'm going to sit by my wife. <laughs> I'm like, boy, yes, you can. This is so awkward, sir. I don't know what I'm thinking. It was just, it was awkward. I didn't know where to sit. The scriptures right here are telling you now we have an assigned seat. You don't have to figure out who likes you, who doesn't like you, where you fit, where you don't fit, what, 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 what category you fall in in life, what agenda you're for or not for, all the chaos in the world. I'm just going to go ahead and go do what Ephesians says. I'm seated in Christ. 
I can't figure everything else out. I'm just going to take my seat in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1, it says this, you, were, you and you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. So number one, very simple thoughts today. You were dead, but now you're alive. Oh, you were dead, but now you're alive. I mean, come on, anybody, how thankful should we be? You ever met someone that died and got a second chance and they got saved and came back, like, like died and actually, you know, they resurrected them or they, got, they helped them at the hospital? Like, how thankful are we for a second chance, for breath, for air, for life? You're alive. Anybody got little kids that ever played dead in the grocery store? <laughs> I, know, I don't know about you, but my, one of my sons loved to play dead in the grocery store. The worst times, at the worst times you could ever imagine, he just poof, flopped down on the ground and just played that. You're dragged. We're dragging him by his jeans. Just come on. Dragging him to the store. It's funny. It's funny until he won't get up. And then others start looking on and going, look, well, he's playing dead. He's, he's uh, get up. He won't get up. God, God does not want you to play dead with him any longer. God does not want to keep dragging you along the ground going, you know what? God doesn't need you to need to drag. He said, you're alive. You're alive. What does that mean? Let me get it practical. When the, when the worship team says, raise your hands and worship, I only like to raise my hands. Well, he likes it. I, I, I don't sing those songs. You sing karaoke? Can I, be, can I just treat you like you're my church today? Can I do that? I'm a, we're going to talk back church, so you can yell at me, shout me down, whatever you want to do. But, but, but like, I, God doesn't want to keep dragging. You don't need a cheerleader or, or someone to say, you know, uh, go get, get involved, get connected. I don't really like to get connected. I don't, that's okay. Don't play dead. You're alive in God. I don't, I don't, that's not my style. I don't, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's his. It's we're worshiping him. So about tithing. Tithe. What? Yeah, what's a, a tithe? A tithy. Tithy. T-I-T-H-E, tithy. Yeah, 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 10% of your income. Well, how, 10%, 10%, how, was that before time? Is that after time? Is that tithy? I don't know what that is, but you go to Marshall's and they say 33% off, and you're like, oh, that's right, $33. You're a math genius at Marshall's. Math genius at TJ Maxx. But at church... God's dragging you. No, 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 no. We're, we're alive in God. You are alive in God. He made you alive. I don't have to play dead. I'm alive in God. I'm not going to let God drag me. Take a deep breath in right now. I'm alive. Look at somebody say, I'm alive. Verse 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. Very simple number two, we alive together. We're alive together. Somehow we've individualized these verses when it comes to these passages. These are not individual verses. Paul says we're alive together. You're, alive. you're not in this alone. You're not by yourself. You're not having to fend for yourself. You don't have to figure it out on your own. He made us alive together. No one's alone or isolated in this place. We're alive together. You are not alone. You might feel alone. You're not alone. My kids watch this show on History Channel called, or Discovery Channel called Alone. Anybody seen the show Alone? It's like how long can you live in the woods alone until they come and find you and you win the million dollars. We watched one and there was this guy, like he, he won the million dollars. He survived 100 days. But if you're watching these people, they're like, they're, they're malnourished. They, they, they can barely, they're starting to have hallucinations. You're like, ah, oh, you're rabbits. You know, it's like, 
you know, they're, they're freaking out. They're in a little hut. They got to build. They're, all they can think about is getting a little meal. All they can think about is themselves. All they can think about is, am I going to sustain myself? Hey, can, I, can I live? Can I? If they get a little cut, they risk getting infected and losing their life because they got a little teeny cut. No one's around. The guy that won it, he killed a, a big ox with a pocket knife. <laughs> of course he won it. <laughs> and even that dude said, after 100 days, I couldn't make it money more. I could have made it one or two more days. Let me just say, when you live alone spiritually, when you live isolated spiritually, it's the same thing. It might, you might not think it's that big a deal, but you're malnourished. You're only being able to think about yourself. If you get a little cut, you risk infection. You, you begin to think things about you and other people without having people around you. You, be, you know what I'm saying? You can't live alone. We're alive together. I'm alive. You're alive. We're alive as the church of Jesus Christ. And he raised us up together. Verse 6. We're alive together. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Very simple thought. We are raised and seated together. We're raised and seated together. We're alive together. We're raised and seated together. Why is that important? You don't have to fight for glory. You don't have to fight for your for your for to fit in. You don't have to fight to be recognized. You don't have, you're raised together. No one got to this place by themselves. No one in this room got to where they are on their own. We're raised together. Uh, in the, in the world's culture, we're all about pushing each other down and people trying to climb the ladder and they push each other down. And can I get ahead? Not in God's culture. We're raised together. If I took some young some young man up here and tried to raise him on my own, I couldn't do it. But if we had four or five guys on stage, I could raise him up and he, we'd be raised together. There's power in being raised and seated together, not just raised together. We're seated together in heavenly places. This, this gives us a new perspective. If we're seated up here, if we're seated up higher, we began to have a new perspective. When I flew here, I was in the middle seat. Um, I like the aisle seat. Um, and I like to look out of the window on the airplane. Any, any window seat people like window seats on the airplane? Because, I, you know, what do you do when you look out the window seat? I get mesmerized. Right? I just begin to look at the, oh, I count all the little swimming pools. That's what I do. I, get, I start coveting everybody's swimming pool. <laughs> look at all them little pools. <laughs> I'm looking at the traffic. Everybody, I'm looking at all the little properties. You can see the boundary lines of little people's acres. Oh, there's 20 acres. Somebody's got nice, they've got nice little acres. I, you can see all that. And, and there's something about seeing it from that perspective that just gives me peace. Like, you know, God's got this. Like, it's not that big a deal. Like, look at that down there. I love the window. The information they give us on the plane, I think, is bad information. They do the little speech before the plane. They're like, in case of emergency and we're going to die, hold on to the, to the flatulent-filled cushion that some stranger <laughs> has been passing gas on for the last five years. That does not, I don't need that information. I'm going to die. I'm not going to hold on to that cushion. We're going down. Like, I need the information I need. Who's in charge of the armrest? Tell me that. Who's in charge of the window? Because when I want to look out and that little dude goes and looks at me with a little grin, I'm like, dude, put it up. Who put you in charge of the window? When that, when that window's up and you're looking out from 30,000 feet, you begin to have a different perspective on life. You're raised up together. We're raised together. We're seated together. So important. This is not country club church, and I love that about your church. This is, not, this is not everybody looks alike, everybody dresses alike, everybody talks alike. Can we have some Grey Poupon, please? I don't even like Grey Poupon. Finger in the air. No, 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 no. This, come on, this is not country club church. This is, we're my public pool people. Come on, this is public. I, who grew up at the public pool? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 
every got cheat. I could I didn't have any gray poupon. I was trying to scratch up four quarters to get some Cheetos and an ice and an icy somebody. Come on, you know you had Cheetos on your fingers swimming, getting in the pool, every color, every background, every age, every every grandmamas and granddad, everybody's in the pool. Somebody does something nasty in the pool, like all out, you have to all get out of the pool. They're like, shock it. They put like enough chlorine to melt your eyeballs. Wait 30 minutes. All swim. Everybody dives in. This is an all swim church. This is it. We're, we're, all, we're all together. I don't, no one, I don't want to be in a place where everybody thinks alike, looks alike, smells alike, acts alike. Here's what's so important. Hear me. The only place we can be different and not divided is in Christ. That's what he's saying. We're alive together. We're seated together. The world is trying to tear us apart at every angle, every agenda, every direction. And the only way to be different and not divided is to be seated in Christ. You don't have to figure out your political affiliation. You don't have to figure out what news demons, I mean documentaries you listen to. You don't have to figure out who likes you, who doesn't, what agenda of the week you're going to follow, who you line up with, who you don't. When you're seated in Jesus, you just have to line up with him. It's a place of power. It's a place of purity. We're raised together. We didn't get here by ourselves. We're all seated in the sun. There's rest in that. There's position of power and perspective in that. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is real important. you got to catch this. We've individualized this work. We've individualized this word. We, I am Christ's workmanship. No, 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 no. We are Christ's workmanship. I am Christ's workmanship. No. She is Christ's workmanship. No. The scripture says we are his workmanship. The next thought, we are designed together. You're you're being designed together in this place. The word workmanship literally is the word poema. You can take another translation and it's the word tapestry. Tapestry. A tapestry is many different colored threads being woven together to create something of beauty and something of excellence and something of majesty. It's a beautiful, you ever seen a tapestry? It's something of beauty, right? What's the backside of the tapestry look like? A bunch of messy cords and, and, and threads just hanging. It just looks like a, a mess. Can, can I tell you that the, the mess in your life is the beauty of God's message? The, the, the other side of your masterpiece and what God's building here is actually the message of his glory and his power and, and his purpose and his redemption. And what, let me say it this way. Your mess matters here. You think, well, I got too much of a mess. I got, they don't need to know my stuff. They, I'm not going to get too honest or too real. No, you and I are being woven together to be a masterpiece in God. All the hurt, all the pain, all the things we've gone through, our backgrounds, our, our, our whatever persuasions we might be as far as, as, far as uh, just nationalities and whatever we, you know, I mean, all the different agendas and all the different things that we've walked through in life. We are his workmanship. This is a design of God. And this place, if, you, if your mess isn't here, the masterpiece isn't full. That's what a tapestry is. And here's the, here's, the, here's the risk of not understanding who you are and what your mess means to God. You end up becoming a piece of abstract art. You ever seen an abstract artist or a piece of abstract art like the, where they just take paint splatter and put it on this, just like, and somebody's like, it's worth $77 million. 
Like, that's worth $77 million. Like, it's amazing. And everybody goes, I don't really like art museums. My family would go to them all the time. I can't stand them. I like riding dirt bikes. I like fishing. I like being outside. I'm not going to go to all the people standing around at the art museum from the country club. Look how, if, I, I, I said this at my church, and, and one lady comes up and goes, Pastor, I was, just, I was just put on the art board of the city. I'm like, I'm, it's just for preaching. God bless you. But all these people walking into these art, abstract art, like, what does it mean? And what does the artist infer? And oh, what was, he, what was his intentions? And look, I think he was meaning that the darkness of the night and the soul. And just, oh, I think he was meaning all these different interpretations. Well, that's the beauty of art. You can just interpret it and just suggest what the author's intentions were. We could just all figure every so many different interpretations. What were his intentions? No, it was some high dude in New York City in a closet throwing paint on a screen. I don't know if I can say this kind of stuff here, but this is what I say at my church. There was no intention. He was, he was homeless, barely had a job, splattering some paint on the screen with his feet. And then all of a sudden, everybody saw it, and they're like, some dude in the art world's like, that's a beaut, that's worth 77 million. Everybody's like, oh, it's worth 77 million. Here's, here's what I'm telling you. If you keep looking to the, to, to the world and to all these other people to figure out the, the inference of the creator on your life, if you go through stuff and you begin to question what did he mean and why did this happen, and you just continue to try to figure out, and the world begins to do this with God's creation. What did God mean when he made a male? What did God mean when he made a female? What did God mean when he made a black person? What did God mean when he made a white person? What did God mean when he made a, you know, a, a brown person? What did God mean when we just begin to infer all these things about, no, 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 no. We see Jesus. We see how he walked in the Bible. We see who he reached and what he did and what he said. The Bible says he's the fullness of God. You don't have to guess what God looks like. You don't have to guess why you went through what you went through. Part of your story of what you went through was because you're his workmanship being created into a story of God's house that brings glory and brings a masterpiece to the communities that you're in and if we're not careful if we try to interpret God and his intention for humanity which is what's happening in the world we try to interpret his intention and his inference for humanity apart from the word and apart from Jesus we begin to grab value from things that cannot value us we, we begin to get our appraisals from things that don't mean anything in our life. You and I are God's workmanship. We are woven together. We are built together. Do not individualize that. You are part of this tapestry called Hill City. God is doing something in your life. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Talking about the church. You're a member you're a citizen and a member. Number, the next thought, we are members together. You're members together. That, that means that there's blessings. In a household, my kids have food, and my 20-year-old's still in the basement. <laughs> he loves all the perks. He loves it, man. He has, Mama still does laundry once a week. We're changing that. This week, we're getting home. You're done. You're doing your own laundry. You got one day a week to do it. He came to me the other day, he's like, you know, this is my room. I'm like, I ain't seen no my rent, so this ain't your room. <laughs> Once I see my rent, you can call it my room, you know what I'm saying? 
and, and we're trying to figure out that dance at 20. He loves all the benefits of the house. He loves all the comforts of the house. But we got to talk about the responsibilities of the house a little bit. Paul says we're members, and I think for too long we've preached all the blessings and all the benefits. And there are those, but you, you're a, you are a member. You have responsibility in the house of God. There are teams here. There are things that need your service. There are things that need your heart that we are called to give and love and go and serve and plant and plug in and connect. You're a member. You're a member. And, 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 and I would do you a disservice and your pastors would do you a disservice to create an environment here where you think this can just be a cruise ship environment. This is not a cruise ship. Cruise ship is go to one room. It's like, oh, I don't like this bu buffet. This is, I don't like this, but I'm going to go get this kind of food in this room. And I want this buffet. And then we go here for breakfast the next day. And, oh, here's the entertainment in this room. And I like this music, but I don't like this music. And I go to this room. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. This is a battleship. Every man and woman to their stations. All hands on deck. We got a city to win. Here's what happens: churches get casual, and so we don't reach people. If we get casual with we're, we're alive, we cannot get casual during the great call of God on the church in this hour. We are members together. You have a great vision. I've already heard it over and over. Making it hard to go to hell from this area. Getting connected into small groups, doing life together, miracles operating through you, not just the platform. Miracles, a miraculous church, a multicultural church. I know the vision. Here's the thing. It's when the vision is clear, commitment is easy. It's hard to commit to stuff that's not clear. And I know it's clear in this house. For me, I hate to swim in the ocean. Any people that hate the ocean, I hate the ocean. I, don't, I, don't, I want to be able to stare down what's about to eat me. I, don't, I want to see the shark in the eye. I want to see what's going to kill me. I don't even like the lake because there's alligators in this. I know there are. I don't care. Give me the swimming pool or give me the Bahamas where I can see 100 feet deep. Come on, somebody. I want that Bahama blue water. That's where I'm going. But in the ocean, in the Atlantic, in the Pacific, no, 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 no. And when I can't see anything, my commitment is low. Years ago, we were swimming, had my kids out there. My wife's on the beach. We're all having family time. I feel that little fin. Come on, anybody feel that little fin? Feel that little something just right? I'm like, ah, I'm Jesus on the water. Ah! Kids are back there. Kids are gone. Come on, kids. My wife's like, you left the kids. Commitment is low when clarity is low. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. <laughs> Man, we're called to commit to the clarity of this vision. You're called to commit to this house. Man, they, at Disney, a Disney staff member has to have 60 interactions a day with people on that property. If a piece of trash hits the ground, it's up in 60 seconds. They make you feel like all your dreams can come true. They'll take your last dollar and make you feel like a millionaire. <laughs> they do it all for a mouse. Man, we're committed to the greatest call on the planet. Humanity, souls, people that need to hear about God. Heaven and hell. This is a room not full of people. This is a room full of power. God did not die for a shallow church. God died for a people to advance his kingdom. We are members together in the household of God. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's saying this is built on the revelation of apostles and prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone. We get all of our alignment and meaning from Jesus. You don't need to align with any other agenda in the world. Cornerstone means it aligns the whole building. This gets alignment from Jesus and Jesus alone. 
If you didn't see him say it or do it, then it's not part of our life. We get, we get it from him alone. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. These last two, I got two more thoughts for you. I'm going to pray for you. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are fitted together. You're being fitted together. Being put together. The connotation is, literally, you ever seen those stone fences, those stone walls that they build? And they have to take each stone and figure out. I was in Cuba on a mission trip in 2019. We, they would dig up these stones and they're rolling them down a hill. And everybody's stacking it, fitting the stones together. No, no, no perfect church, perfect fit. No perfect church, perfect fit. The Holy Spirit is fitting you. If you're a part of this house, he's fitting you into this place, fitting you. It actually means this. It means to organize and join closely together. I love that small. That's why you do small groups, to join closely together, to fit compactly, to organize compactly, to, to, to render close jointed together. That you and I are being fitted together, fitted together. Here's why we need the Holy Spirit and each other in this. We're being fitted together. Years ago at Easter, uh, early days of preaching in Knoxville, Tennessee. Church maybe was 100 people at the time. Uh, I came out at Easter. Easter outfit's a big deal for me. I, I, I wore a red and pink pinstripe shirt with a pink and gray paisley tie. Paisley's on top of pink pinstripes. Oh. I had a friend come up to me named Lisa Reed. She like a Mama Lisa, everybody called her. She looks at me after I preached the first service. She said, don't you ever wear that again in public. <laughs> I fired back. I said, it was on the mannequin. She goes, I don't care if it was on Elvis Presley. <laughs> don't wear that ever again. We need people to help us fit together. We need people in our life, and the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? That girl doesn't fit in your life. That guy doesn't fit in your life. That attitude doesn't match who you are. That sin doesn't match in your outfit. That behavior, that mindset, that unforgiveness, that attitude, that doesn't match who you are. We need each other to fit us together, and Holy Spirit to fit us together so the house of God can begin to grow. It takes a lot of work to be fitted together. Verse 22, the last verse, the most important one, I think, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. So fitted together is a little different than being built together. Being built together is a construction term. It means to be put together or construct out of several things to build up one whole. Construction, hammers, saws, shovels, bulldozers, Beginning, God says that I'm literally going to create an environment where you begin to be built together. God does not build with Legos. My kids used to build with Legos, a big old box of prefab stuff. They'd put it together. They'd smash it, throw it back in the box with no intention for its use. God, we are not prefab parts and pieces that God just sticks together for no intention, and then it can just be discarded. We are the house of God being fitted and built together. So that God would come and live here is what it says. So God would dwell here. Let me, let me say it this way to you, and this is heavy. My job and your pastor's job is not to create a cruise ship environment. It's to create an environment where you're willing to be sawed on and, 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 and constructed on and built on and connected so that the Holy Spirit, God, would come and dwell here. Why? Because we all need a place where God is. 
And if you want more of God in your church, it's not going to be different music or, or different styles or different things. It's going to be your willingness to be built together. Your willingness to forgive and, and submit and repent and, and, and go to and, and ask forgiveness and build up and give and love and serve. And it's being built together. And to, the, and to the degree that you're willing to be constructed on is the degree that God's willing to live here. That's what the scriptures say. And so the Bible says that you and I are seated in Christ and built together. Here's what I think happens a lot of times. The scriptures tell me I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places and I have every blessing. I said it in my prayer. If you don't believe you have every blessing, you'll never produce it if you don't believe you possess it. I have every blessing in Christ. We love to be seated with Christ. But the Bible says we're seated in Christ. And so often we come to church and we're seated with him and and we leave here and our other friends, you know, man, you don't need all that. And, oh, yeah, come back and get around small group and with Christ. Oh, I don't, you know, who am I? I'm not worthy of anything. I can't, my life really can never change. I don't have, I don't really have patience. I can't really, oh, man, I need patience, I need patience, I need patience. You know, I, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Who's going to control my life? Why are those small group leaders getting in my business? I, 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 don't, I don't need them to, I'm going to do what I, I don't, do I, I don't really need to forgive. I don't really need to go to, I don't really need to deal with that. Like, no, oh, man, I'm, I'm a little worn out. I go get, get to church and get to sit with Christ. Sit with, sit with Christ. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with Christ. And then everything, man, I just, I, well, I, I'm, you know, they're going to, the, the next politician, they vote in. Oh, man, then everything's going to go downhill. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm with, I'm with Christ. Oh, I don't, I don't know what, what abortion, abortion, abortion. Oh, abortion. And, uh, you know, I think we, women need rights. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure if that's right. It's not right. <laughs> I need to be with Jesus. Oh, you know, we just need love. Love is love. And there's homosexuality and transgender and love is love. And, 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 then the, and they're going to vote for that. And they're going to do this. And, and the society says, and the news says this. And wars and, and, and finances. And, oh, and the, and the economy. And, 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 and oh, God. Oh, God. I'm with Christ. But the Bible says that I'm seated in Christ. <laughs> And if he died, I died. And if he was raised, I was raised. And if he's at peace, I'm at peace. And if he's at the right hand of the Father, I'm at the right hand. Because whatever I'm seated in, whatever I'm in, whatever happens to it, happens to me. So whatever happens to Jesus, happens to me. My mind is the mind of Christ. No demon in hell, no devil in hell, no agenda in the earth. Nothing can get me up out of this beanbag. I am seated in Christ. I don't care what they throw at us. And the only place that we can be different and not divided is right here. I rest in you, Lord. Yeah. And here's my one assignment to ask you today. What seat are you in that God hasn't assigned to you? Because it's assigned seating. That we are raised together in heavenly places. And seated in Christ. That's what I want to pray for you about today. Maybe you're, maybe you're seated in worry.
Maybe you're seated in envy or fear. Maybe you're seated in offense. Maybe you're sitting in rejection or insecurity. Maybe you're, you're, you're sitting in hopelessness. Maybe you're sitting in some agenda that the world has pushed down your throat. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Maybe you're seated in regret. Would have, could have, should have. I would say stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> I'm going to get rebuked for that after service. I did not cuss. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you're seated in something that God never assigned you to. And I thank you, Lord, for assigned seating. I don't have to figure out all the noise and who sits where. I sit in Jesus. Would you stand to your feet with me? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.